The Classic Comics Forum podcast presents issue number 29, Avengers numbers 211 to 230, The Fall of Yellow Jacket, part 3. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris-King. And in this episode, we conclude our three-part discussion of the classic-slash-infamous Fall of Yellow Jacket storyline that ran from Avengers numbers 211 to 230. As with the first two episodes of this uh, discussion, I'm joined by... ICC Trombone, and in the first two episodes, we've discussed issues 211 to 220, and so in this episode, we'll be discussing issues 221 to 230, which include a membership drive, a fill-in that's actually become an all-time classic, and the sudden creative team change where Jim Shooter took himself off the title right at the end of the storyline and Roger Stern had to come in to pick up the pieces. So we'll be discussing um, that all of that and much more in this episode. So not going to talk anymore. We're going to jump right into the discussion. And thanks for listening. In issue 221, so next issue we get back to the main storyline. This is one of my favorite issues. I love this issue. We get the return of Fabian Stankiewicz. So right off the bat, this is it's fantastic. And for those who don't know, he's this guy who wants to make a name for himself by defeating the Avengers. And he keeps making these like Iron Man suits that are not as good as Iron Man's and attacking them. And they're basically like, are you serious? And they, they're always making fun of him as they're trashing him because they've got other things to do. Yeah. Um, He's got a long history in Avengers that starts with these appearances, and then he appears again in issue 239, uh, and then he actually joins the Avengers as one, not as a member, but as one of their support team members at their, that runs their facility. But anyway. Um, that was a funny period in their, in their history in my book. I mean, they had a yeah. lot of walking around the mansion, you know, like a support team. I'm like, Eesh, keep it simple, man, you know, but anyway. The main thing that happens here, though, is that the Avengers, there's only four members of the team. And so they decide they need to recruit some new members. And uh, so all the different people on the team sort of have different ideas of who they should talk to. And um, uh, the Wasp basically holds this soiree where she invites all these female uh, superheroes to try and get them to join the Avengers. And at the end of that, after they've defeated Fabian Stankiewicz, um, She-Hulk ends up joining the team. I think it's a really interesting addition. Uh, I will note that her her solo series had just been canceled a couple months earlier. And so it's a classic Marvel thing to be like, okay, that character, their solo series ends, but we want to keep them in in people's in mind. So we're going to immediately feature her in another title. And maybe the fans of that book will now read Avengers. Um, but they also brought Hawkeye back. And uh, I thought that was interesting. We get this great dynamic between Hawkeye and She-Hulk established right here in the first issue where they have this sort of rivalry where they're ragging on each other and trash talking each other. And we see that progress throughout the rest of the storyline. And again, I might be overthinking things, um, but it felt like another sort of commentary just on uh, male-female relationships and male-female power dynamics 
Um, we get a thing here where, in this case, She-Hulk is much more powerful than Hawkeye. And so he's trying to sort of trash talk her, and it really doesn't work because she sort of has the upper hand on him. I love their dynamic. I think it's great. And again, I might be overthinking it, thinking that they established <laughs> this as another parallel to Hank and Jan, but it just, it shooters doing this stuff on purpose. We can see him do it in some of the issues. So I'm maybe I'm just like looking for clues where there aren't any at this point. Now, actually was that they actually, it's good when you have a team and not everybody gets along. It creates an interesting little uh, drama. You know, I mean, like in real life, you're, you're going to meet people, you're not going to get along with everybody, you know, but yeah, I, I like, I, I have some geek notes about this book. Just if I throw you away real quick. Yeah. Shooter, Shooter plots it. Dave Michelini actually does the script, right? This is the first time you see Brett Breeding, which as an inker, and you see him pretty much through the rest of the line. Brett Breeding was very interesting, very good inker. He reminded me of Bob Layton. I was wondering if that's just another name for him, but he did a really nice job there. Uh, this is the famous Brady Bunch cover. And I, you see it afterwards a lot more. You see the homage and, and, you know, whatever. And, and of the people, of the 15 faces that were on that cover, now, this to this day, only four of them didn't become Avengers. All, all, all the other ones did. The four that didn't become was Dazzler, Rom, Black Bolt, and Silver Surfer. I don't know if Silver Surfer ever became one. I mean, the actual Avengers, not... Space Avengers, whatever. Yeah. So interesting stuff that, you know, it's like a, you know, it, it, there was a point where Avengers was an exclusive club and you only, not only, not everybody got in. And it came in like the last five years or so, it, they went through a period where like everybody was an Avenger and it kind of like, it ruined it for me, kind of, you know, I'm like, yeah, me too. To be an Avenger, you know? Uh, let me see what else. Yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah. She hoped the thing. And, you know, again, Bob Hall looked pretty good, but what, was it more that Brett Breeding was like, you know, fixing his artwork or whatever. I mean, it was yeah. a nice issue. Uh, again, not not a lot of a battling and stuff, but there was interesting uh, interesting play between the characters. And I just wonder, would this cover ever be reprinted again with Rom on it? Marvel uh, yeah. Over. So there you go. Right, they don't own the rights to him. Like, um, I was a huge fan of Rom, and I think when I got this issue, I didn't, I hadn't read the other issues around it. This is one of the first back issues I got, and I was like, Oh, I hope Rom joins the Avengers because I didn't know that you know what happened yet. So I mean, it could be because they had the rights to him. So I mean, he was in other books too. But I'm just interested. They put Rom on the cover, like wow. I mean, it drew you in. You looked at it, and oh my yeah. god, who can join? You know, it was, it was a fun book. And I think in this book also, Thor approaches Spider Man. Yeah, so I was going to mention that. So Thor invites Spider Man to join the team. Spider-Man's like, I'll think about it. We see this come back. Roger Stern revisits this in issues 236 and 237. And basically at that point, Spider-Man learns that the Avengers get paid. And so then he's like, wait a minute, I could have been getting paid like uh, an exorbitant salary this whole time if I had just joined the Avengers six years ago or 10 years ago or whatever it was. So he tries to join. So they do follow up on that. I just wanted to also mention, um, again, you mentioned already, but Shooter does the plot, but he doesn't do the scripting. And then next issue, um, same thing, different scripter. So now we're getting Shooter's doing the plot and we're getting different artists and different scripters for every issue. And we're really seeing Shooter sort of, um, his stamp is clearly still on the stories. It's still his story, but it's becoming more and more clear that he doesn't have time to really keep doing this. Well, it's important to know... I mean, why didn't he just hand over the whole book to somebody else? Because he still had the Hank Pym thing to address. That's yeah. why he just let 
uh, Michelini or Stern take over, he had to have the 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 uh, Hank Pym storyline resolved, and that's I think that's what it was because in this issue, anyway, you give the recap and, we'll, and I'll give you a comment. Yeah, so basically, what happens in this issue is um, it starts off with this really cool uh, sequence. I really liked what he was doing here. We get back to Hank in jail. So Hank's been in jail now since issue two seventeen. Again, we've had these other stories where we've moved away, and so when we finally get back to Hank, we've been like. Man, this this guy's been in jail. He hasn't even had his trial yet. But I guess they don't. They're just gonna put him in a maximum security prison with a bunch of other prisoners anyway, even though he hasn't his trial. And one of the people in there is the Whirlwind, who's one of his sort of uh, old enemies. And Whirlwind has long had this obsession with the Wasp. And so Whirlwind starts like needling him, like I'm about to get out of here and I'm gonna go visit the Wasp. And it gets Hank, of course, really upset. And then he does, in fact, get broken out of jail. And we learn that there's a new Masters of Evil that Egghead is putting together for reasons that are as yet unclear. And But whatever Egghead's plan was, Whirlwind completely screws it up because he's so obsessed with Wasp that he immediately goes to try and whatever he's trying to do with her. Vapor, it looked like. Yeah, I hate to... This is the most rape-filled episode of the podcast so far, but... I don't know. Again, I would have thought Shooter would have learned his lesson at this point. This is, again, a mature series considering that it's in uh, the comics code, but he's pushing it for me with some of this stuff. Um, But yeah, that's basically it. And it's not coming out of nowhere because Whirlwind has done this before. So um, he goes to track her down. So it's not like it's out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not like Shooter's got... like. For instance, John Byrne, some of his stuff, I think he's got some issues. But Shooter, like this is this is a character thing. Um, he messes this up because when he does this, of course, it attracts the Avengers. The other Masters of Evil try and grab Whirlwind and get out of there, and that doesn't work. And they have this big showdown where most, like, a bunch of the Masters of Evil basically get captured, and Egghead's like, "What are you doing?" Um, yeah. We get some really cool stuff here, though, with um, with Hawkeye and uh, She-Hulk. Another thing I wanted to mention real quick is that we also see a little cameo from Scott Lang. And I really like this for a few reasons, but one of the main ones is Scott Lang actually is the character that's going to provide the continuity as we go through the next um, fill-in issue, next issue, because he appears here, he's in the next issue, and then he also appears in 224. So in a strange way, Scott Lang, as as the second Ant-Man, is the character that sort of connects this little stretch of stories all together. Um, so I really like seeing him and it's really setting up 224, but it, nicely enough, he's in 223 as well. Well, as far as that issue, yeah, the, the Scott Lang appearance is important for another reason. He acts as the what the, the mouthpiece for the fan. He, he goes to Tony Stark when he's work. he works with Tony Stark. He's, he, he goes to him and he says, hey, what's happening with Hank? You know, and, you know, kind of like putting it out there. And he goes, well, you know, he's in, he's in prison and we're trying to get, you know, get his defense for him or we're trying to get him, you know, psychiatrist, whatever. And he says, he'll be fine in prison. And like he says, Scott is walking away. And he goes, yeah, I, maybe you think he's fine in prison, but, you know, I've been in prison and it ain't a fun place. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's that's one thing. And it's, and, and you mentioned She-Hulk and, uh, and uh, Hawkeye. They have an interesting scene where Hawkeye's mouthing off and whatever, and she grabs him and kisses him right in the mouth and drops him on the floor. And kind of a reference of Avengers 189, where, where Hawkeye does that to Deathhawk, or, what, or whatever her name was. Yeah. It, it kind of shuts him up, you know, disarms him, and that's it. 
yeah, as far as the rest of the issue, yeah, you know, I, you know, the, the, the um, yeah, well, when it goes, it does something that messes everything up, gets everybody captured. I mean, that that's pretty much what's that, but you know, you see, uh, Egghead, I did have a plan. I think they said something about eternal life or something. It's not like, like, there was a, there's a the point, like a little scene in issues past where he, this is this French maid sitting on his lap and he goes, hey, why don't you just make a, a cure for eternal life? He goes, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll get a, a cure for eternal life. And then he, then he dumps her and he says, I'm going to assemble my team. Um, it's thin, but, but that's the, that, it's that's very the, thin. I find it really interesting. Again, um, not just that shooter has chosen Hank Pym as the centerpiece for his run, but as a result of that, we, we've got egghead of all characters as the main villain for one of the best Avengers runs of all time. Uh, yeah. so, and he's really good in these, like he's really, he's really a cool villain in this storyline. But you're like, you know, when you think of the great villains, it's like Kang, Dr. Doom, Egghead? Uh... <laughs> well, well, he's the foil for Ant-Man. Yeah. Hank so Goliath, it... whatever, you know, he's, he's, he has to be, I mean, they, look, they brought, they, they rose, they, you know, they brought up his game. You know, he was a lot better in this. He wasn't yeah, a joke. Yeah, a lot better. I, you know, I'm saying, you know, he, he might be a joke, but he did outsmart Hank Pym and the Avengers. Yeah, he's really he's really good. Like he's well written here. And it was interesting. I just wanted to mention to see the Masters of Evil reform because that's a classic Avengers, uh, you know, villain team that formed way back in issue six. And every once in a while they come back. And then this iteration we're going to see again shortly uh, at the end of the storyline. And then the next one is probably the most famous one because Roger Stern ended up using a new version for the Mansion Siege at the end of his arc. Yeah. Um, so it's always cool. To, I like the Masters of Evil. They have that sort of classic, like Silver Age name, the Masters of Evil. Like who calls themselves the Masters of Evil? But, <laughs> but you know, it, I guess. Masters of Evil. Yeah, they 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 they're all the way back from like I think issue six or something. But the important thing about the Masters of Evil in this and the other iterations is that they're a bomb squad. They're like the Avengers. They're like they're getting the best villains from everywhere and saying, okay, let's put them on one team. I mean, when you mention Under Siege. Hercules get pummeled by big powerhouses. I mean, guys, you know, I mean, Hercules could be any one of those guys, but can he be 10 of them at the same time? Right. The Tiger Shark is a heavy hitter. Later on, they get uh, Radioactive as a heavy hitter. Moonstone has a the, the leadership, whatever. But they, they got some people that, you know, that give Avengers a hassle there, give them a, a fight. So, you know, it, it is, I like the idea that they're formed and they're really like formidable. They're not, they're not a joke. Yeah. Uh, so 223 is a fill-in. Um, so we won't talk about it too much, but I wanted to mention a couple things. Classic, classic cover where Hawkeye's got the bow and arrow and Ant-Man's on the end of his arrow. He's about to shoot that. That's been, re you know, homaged and recreated. I think they actually did a version of that in the movies because it's such a famous image. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Taskmaster's third appearance, and interestingly, in all three of his appearances to this point, he fights Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Um, I think Taskmaster has become a much, much more popular and major character since then than Ant-Man. He sort of outgrew, he outkicked the coverage on that one. Um, I found, uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of Scott Lang in the comics. I like him better in the movies, actually, but... In, in here, he's basically got, like, one thing. 
which is that he's a big movie buff. So every time he does anything, he makes a reference to some movie that he saw. And I, I was really irritating, like really irritating. They use that in, in, in the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. He's like, you mean like Shark's After Redemption? You mean like Back to the Future? You know, I find him less irritating in the movies for some reason. Maybe that's because of Paul Rudd, but... In this issue, he was like, I, I uh, saw this guy in this movie do this one time. Let me see if I can pull it off. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, it was it's just a filling issue. The artwork by uh, Greg LaRoque. I'm not a big fan of Greg LaRoque. I mean, he's all right. You know, he did a flash run after, you know, uh, 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 Jackson Juice left. I mean, you know, he's okay. I, I, he's more known for Legion of Superheroes. I'm not, I don't really follow that book. Um this is a very minor note, but I just wanted to also mention. So She-Hulk, as a member of the Avengers, does not have a costume yet. And yeah. so on the cover of 222, and in one panel, on the last panel of 223, we see her wearing her ripped and ragged white dress costume that she wore in her solo series. And it's really strange because she never actually wears that in Avengers. She's on the cover in it. And she, again, one panel here where they have a little group shot. But there's no other stories in Avengers where she has that because when we get to next issue, she's got a new costume. And in the previous issue, she was trying on new costumes that Jan had made for her. So we, we never actually see her in this white outfit, even though she's on the cover. I mean, they, they still don't really know what to do with the characters, her look. I mean, green is the main look. I guess everything else is just, you know, adding to the story. I know she wore up leotards a little bit like during some of the event, Avengers issues. But I mean, the fact that she's big and green. I think that's enough. Yeah, I mean, I think they didn't really get her look right, strangely, until she joined the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four outfit looked correct for me. Um, so now we get to issue 224. One of the best issues of Avengers of all time, I think, even though there's no fighting at all in it. Yep. Um, basically what happens is, again, this is, another, this is Shooter's last issue plotting. He's got yet another scripter. So in 221, 222, and 224, we get plots from Jim Shooter and scripts from three different writers. Mm -hmm. um, in, this, in this case, it's Alan Zelenetz who's doing the, the dialogue, the scripting. Um, yep. We start off the issue, uh, we got Scott Lang sneaks into prison because he's going to break out Hank Pym. He wants to find out what really happened, and Hank explains, like, all the stuff they're saying about me being a giant asshole to Jan and with the Avengers, that was all true but I'm not a criminal and I was set up by Egghead. And so Scott Lang's like, well, I'm going to break you out of here. We're going to go find the evidence to prove that you're innocent. And uh, Hank Pym won't do it. He refuses to leave prison because he wants to do things the right way. And he thinks that when he's to get, he gets his day in court, he'll be proved innocent. Um, and so he refuses to leave the prison. I thought that was a really, really cool sequence. Um, I thought it made a lot of sense for uh, from Scott Lang's perspective just to go in there um, and it was also sort of interesting. We're going to hear Hawkeye mention this later in a very awkward moment, but in a later that's issue, Hawkeye's going to... Yeah, that's Hawkeye. <laughs> He's going to be like, hey, have any of you even tried to talk to Hank since this? This has been going down? And the answer is not really. He's been in prison for several issues, and since he was arrested, none of the Avengers, that we haven't seen any of them talk to him or anything but scott lang's like someone needs to help this guy he's our friend he's a, he's you know so he tries to do this but hank wants to do it the right way and he refuses um and then we get to the rest of the story which is absolutely fantastic 
And what happens in the story is Tony Stark starts getting interested in in Jan and he starts they start dating and they get into this sort of like torrid love affair, but she doesn't know that he's Iron Man. And so it's a really awkward um, imbalance of power here where Tony knows and he's kind of taking advantage of her situation because she doesn't know. And there's a great sequence where Captain America goes because it's all in the it's all in the paparazzi because they're all they're famous rich people. And t- Steve confronts him and is like, what are you doing? First of all, these are our friends. This is Hank's ex-wife. And you're making this play like, what are you doing? But also you've got to tell her, like, what are you doing? You have to tell her. And uh, they have a big argument about it. Um, Tony realizes eventually, eventually that he needs to tell her. But he also has another um, talk with Thor. And Thor is like, hey, uh, she's happy. You're happy. Two people in love. It's great. But also you need to tell her. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I, they're, they're, those those moments where Captain America just like they just got the scene where he walks in and Captain America's sitting on a couch and he just looks at him and goes, "What are you doing, Tony?" I mean, this is awesome. I'm like, that rings true, man. That's exactly what will happen. And he and he does. He says, "Oh, look, I'm helping him. I'm giving him therapy." He goes, "Yeah, yeah. Your guilt is showing because you know you're doing the wrong thing." And and, and it it is it really, I mean, a great issue. That really is a great issue. And it doesn't have any right to be. It's just all it is a is a romance. But it gets back to Hank too. He's seeing it in the newspapers, and it's like, you know, they have a scene at the end where when when they finally break up, where they have like a perfect panel where you just see Hank's face against the bars, and you can see him like that look on his face, like ah, you know, this is terrible, you know. I mean, they're like, look, you know this guy, and and I mean, there's something else too that. It says in this issue that the, the divorce is only a month old. So she's running around trying to forget everything and whatever. But, I mean, obviously, she don't want to go dating Iron Man, you know, the guy that, that was a teammate of her husband. You know, it, 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 I mean, and but also on the other hand, hey, look, man, when you're having fun, you don't want it to end. You know, he, know, he knew there was a chance that if he told her that the, the romance would, would stop. That's why he yeah. didn't know. You know, and at the end of the but, issue, when he tells her, he was—that's what he says. He's like, "If I, I didn't want to tell you because it, it was going so great, and I didn't want you to stop it. But you know, we can, we can. It doesn't have to end." And she's like, "Uh, yeah, it does." Yeah. And uh, she breaks yeah. it off immediately. He tells him, "I feel like I'm betraying Hank, one yeah. of his old friends." I'm like, "Wow, I mean, yeah, it's too soon and it's too close." And you know, again, but you know, when you. The heart wants what it wants. I guess he, you know, he felt this is a great woman. Maybe she could be the one, you know, this is the timing is bad, you know, unfortunately, you know, but uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was a great issue, man. And, and, and it hadn't, didn't have any right to be Mark Bright drawing it. I don't know. You know, <laughs> Mark Bright's okay. You know, I'm just, it's, it's just interesting. The revolving door artists. I mean, yeah. this had everything going against it. They had, they threw a different artist, every issue, different scripter. I mean, I, I just, this is the only run I could ever think that had everything, every reason to be sabotaged and not be good, but I just couldn't stop reading. I just couldn't stop picking yeah. up. So next two issues um, are a two-part fill-in. I do want to talk a little bit about it, not very much, but um, so we've got this thing where uh, Jim Shooter leaves the book with 224, 
we get this two-parter that's clearly a fill-in. Um, there's a there's a little bit right at the beginning that ties it into what was happening. So like the first couple pages, they sort of follow up on recent events, but then they just jump right into the fill-in part. Then basically yeah. what happens is Dr. Druid shows up, which is usually a good reason to stop reading a comic. But in this case, <laughs> this is before that's been established. So Dr. Druid shows up and he sends the Avengers back into the 12th century where the Black Knight is waiting for them. And the Black Knight's been trapped in the 12th century since like Defenders number four. So it's been like over, it's like a full decade real time. Basically, uh, they're on this mystical land that's between Earth and the spirit realm or the fairy realm. And there are all these like uh, monstrous fairy creatures that are trying to get through to Earth. And the Avengers have to help them power up the, um, the I forget what that thing is called. Um, the evil eye. Yeah, they have to power up the evil eye in order to um, stop it. And they end up doing it. And the, the most important thing is that at the end of the story, the Black Knight returned to the present day. And uh, this is going to be important later on because um, first he's going to have some guest appearances in Doctor Strange. And then he's going to rejoin the Avengers later in the Roger Stern run, about 30 issues later, he's going to join the Avengers again. And um, so it's, it's uh, and, and then he's going to become like the main character in the whole series uh, in the nineties. Mm. So bringing him back is important. Um, I'm a big fan of the black Knight. I love the cover for 225, uh, the, the white cover with the black Knight coming out and the scroll work. Oh, okay. Um, that's a really cool one. There's one little moment in there where the wasp is flirting with him. Uh, and that becomes a major subplot when he returns, um, where he falls for the wasp, but that's much, much later. Um, I thought this story was fine. I didn't really care about any of the, like the fairy stuff, the Avalon stuff. I liked the black Knight, but it was just okay. Uh, I thought it was a throwaway story. Uh, I'm not a black, a black Knight fan. I never saw what anybody thought was so special about him. Uh, there, there is interest, the interesting thing to me was that he, at the end, he he fights, he seals the the dimension gate. He's the one that makes the sacrifice and he dies at, in the 12th century. But his body gets tra- transformed to the present time, and of course he gets reanimated. So now the Avengers go to present time too. And he thinks he's killed the Avengers because he, he blew everything up to seal that gate. So they're like, Hawkeye's like, let's go see him. And I'm like, no, 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 leave, let him be. Let him adjust to life. I'm like, the guy just thinks he killed all the Avengers. I think somebody should call him and say, look, everything's okay. You know, we're, we're going to give you some time, but we're okay. You know, and, and, and like that, you know. So I just thought that was a weird like, wrap up to, the, to that story. Just, just one other thing to add about the two issues. That maybe that's the last time you ever see Chick Stone do a book. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. You know, I was looking at the credits. I think, I mean, it, it was just kind of weird, the inking. You know, you can see old style, the old style. Yeah, yeah. it's a kind of throwaway characters. I didn't, you know, there was nothing. I mean, I, I didn't even know, I mean, the Evil Eye, you see it here and there. An interesting weapon. I guess, you know, they stopped using it now, right? Yeah. Uh, I think the only time I can remember seeing it in Avengers before was it was one of the weapons they were trying to collect during the Avengers Defenders War. Um, but the pre- other appearances I wasn't really familiar with. It's known as one of those gadgets that power, you know, like, yeah. a, like, a, like a soul gem or, you know, something like that. Some power, cosmic cube, 
and the, on the par of the, those. So it's just interesting to see that in the past. But that's just another issue where, like, you know, some people say, oh, we have a fight fight here. Let's just kidnap the Avengers and bring them over to help us fight, you know. Yeah. Like two or three times already in, in, the, in these last two years. So let's start. Here we go. Endgames, we start with 227, the first Roger Stern issue. And Roger Stern comes in like a tornado. You can tell he's got plans, not just to finish this storyline, but he's got long-term plans. He's setting stuff up all over the place. I thought this issue was fantastic. Um, right at the beginning, we get introduced to Captain Marvel, who had uh, Monica Rambeau had just made her first appearance in Roger Stern's other book, Amazing Spider-Man, in Annual 16. He brings her in as a an Avenger in training. So she's going to be in these issues, not very much, just like a couple pages each issue. She has one key part later on. Um, I am a big fan of Captain Marvel, or Captain Monica, as some people call her. Um, I, my first issue was 256. It was like the issue after she became a full-time Avenger. And then by the end of, you know, her stint there, she was the leader of the team. So for me, she's Captain Marvel. I'm a big fan of her. And I know some long-term fans of the series felt she was a bit of a Mary Sue, like a pet character of Roger Stern's. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Cause I think she's great. He brings her in and just to introduce her and get her in the mix. And then, most of the stuff we get um, some really good character work with pretty much everybody. Um, but the key thing that we get here is uh, Tony Stark has hired a um, psychiatrist to go in to interview Hank Pym to make sure to see if he is uh, fit to stand trial or whether they can have the charges dismissed by reason of insanity or something. And there's this great overview of Hank's history. And this is finally someone giving Jim Shooter's rationale for why this story made sense. But we don't get it until the story's right about to end. Like, this is great to know now, but it would have been nice to get some of this stuff, like, in issue 211 before all this stuff happened. So it's a little bit late, but I, I just really um, like this this storyline a lot. Um the one thing I, I've got some other little minor notes, but the other one thing is that at the end, the psychiatrist is like, he seems rational. Um, is it possible that he's actually telling the truth and that he was being mind controlled by Egghead? And Iron Man's like, no, it's impossible. Egghead, Egghead died uh, in Defenders 43 or something. And I was like, you guys fight people every issue that you thought died. Why is it so crazy to think that Egghead also escaped like every other villain you've ever fought in the whole history of your career. That just <laughs> felt weird to me that he was like, oh, it's impossible. There's no way that Egghead's alive. Yeah, he, he kind of shut the door on that. I, 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 don't, I don't feel the same way I, you do about this issue. I thought it was a, one of those album recap issues and like a filler. I mean, maybe they, they put it in here to, to like, because the next three issues are going to be bombs. So this, so this right here is like to slow everything down and catch every, all the readers up to speed on what's going on. But I felt that a lot of it was just like recap of his old origin, recap of, oh, this adventure, recap of Ultron, re you know, I, I, that I didn't really like too much. And you know, they brought Sal Busama in for, the, for, for that yeah. recap. There are a couple of character things that, that, that you mentioned that I did like. I did like that, um, that, uh, that Ree Richards and Susan Storm meet the Wasp in Central Park. And they and then they start to talk about Hank, and she like abruptly says, "Oh, I gotta go use the bathroom." 
And then she goes to the bathroom and she's like almost ready to like lose it and cry and go crazy. And she says, and she tells her, no, no, I got to hold it together. I got to be strong. I'm a leader now. And this and that. So you could tell this ain't easy for her, man. You know, she did everything quick, got the divorce quick, but she's still really in mourning over that marriage and mourning that her husband is in this predicament. So it's not like she's a cold person, you know? So yeah, this thing about, about, uh, about Iron Man going, no, Egghead's dead. I thought about, I, at first I thought what you would think, wow, these people die all the time. Although at that point, you say 1982 or whatever, were people coming back from the dead every issue? I don't know, you know? Like, you know, it, it isn't like now. Now we could say, oh yeah, nobody dies. But back then they could kill somebody and you thought he was gone. Plus, I mean, no one has seen their head. It's true. There's no one's seen anything. So they're thinking, you know, I mean, the therapist even makes the, the, the point well, if he thought it was Egghead and he's dead, then maybe he's even more far gone than we thought. Maybe he's more deluded. Yeah, I guess it makes some sense, but I'm still like, I don't know. Uh, so I like the issue better than you did. That's fine. But and um, I'm sorry, I have to disagree one more time. Monica Rambeau, I thought was such a crappy character. I mean, nothing, nothing. She's so powerful. I hate when characters are so powerful and yet they get knocked out like quick. Yeah, I mean, this lady could, could, could go around the earth like in a second. In, in light speed, and yet, she she I don't felt I don't feel like she ever lived up to that potential of such I a. I agree, power. she's overpowered. Like I really like the character, and I think they shot themselves in the foot by making her too powerful. Um, because there's there's times when it's kind of like the problem they have sometimes in Thor's on the book. If you got Thor there, what are the other Avengers really there for? Because he's so powerful. And with her, there's times where they have to jump through hoops to sort of make it so she doesn't just cream everybody instantly. So I agree, she's definitely overpowered, but I, I really like the character. Um, but the good thing that Roger Stern did, I think he's the one that did it, is that it showed that there was like, I think she couldn't just keep doing it because after a while, it wore on her. Like it, it messed up her body or whatever. And also, I mean, she could go light speed, but she could only do it as, as a light source. She can't actually touch anything. So, I mean, they, they had limitations to it. I just never thought anything of it. And I just thought it was weird. I, I, I haven't read Aveng uh, Spider-Man Annual 16 in a while. But do, do, are the Avengers in that one? They're in that one, right? I don't remember. I yeah, haven't. I, but I haven't read it since yeah, 30 years. So. Iron Man shows up or whatever. And they say, oh, that's whatever. But I'm just like, why is she in the Avengers all of a sudden? I thought that was jarring. To the, you know, all the issues before 26 to 26 to 25 to 24, all of a sudden they're testing her powers on page one or 227. No, you're right. That is jarring. Um, I mean, in other words, you had to buy Spider-Man, which I did. I have it right, right there in the collection right next to it. But I'm just saying, because that's part of the story. You know, but I think yeah. when Roger Stern took over, he says, well, I'm going to use my characters, you know. No, you're right. I think there would have been a, a better way to introduce her than to just have her be there all of a sudden. So uh, that's valid. I agree. Um, I mean, they give a recap. They give a little, you know, half a page recap of her powers or whatever. But just I, maybe she should have been introduced in Avengers Annual 25 or whatever, and then and then have her there because she's more Avenger than a than a Spider-Man character. Which she have nothing to do with Spider-Man. That was weird. So let's talk about 228, because now we're getting to the, the conclusion of the story. The 228, 229, 230 for me are all just like great, great, great. Yeah. Um, 228, uh, we get some more new members of the Masters of Evil to replace the morons that um, <laughs> got their butts kicked last time. 
Uh, I really liked that they brought in a radioactive man because he was one of the original Masters of Evil back in Avengers number six. Um, and Egghead's got this, his, he's really good. His, uh, his plan's great. Basically what happens in this issue is the trial starts. Uh, so the Avengers show up. There's some great character work um, with Hawkeye and She-Hulk where they both uh, like independently decide to like go to the... Um, the trial for moral support, even though they're not being called as witnesses. And so they sort of see each other in a different light as a result of that. And while they're there, the masters of evil smash through the ceiling and they make it look as though Hank Pym is actually the leader of the masters of evil. And this is a, a rescue mission that he had set up for them. And as part of that, they have this thing where um, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, they come, they come in and show, hey, boss, we're here to get you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's holy crap. I mean, they, they couldn't screw them worse, you know, in public view of everybody. And the Avengers, you know, they, they respond, but damage done. Actually, they get away with them, right? I think, do they capture one of them? No, yeah, they capture, uh, they capture the Shocker. Yeah, they capture the Shocker, and that's part of Egghead's plan because he's brainwashed Shocker into thinking that Hank Pym was a leader. So he intentionally sabotage like shocker stuff so that shocker would get caught and then would turn evidence again tank pym and then the more diabolical is they bring hank pym back to egghead and egghead's like well everyone thinks you're a supervillain now and you're leading the masters of evil so you got nowhere to turn to so the only thing that you can do now is work for me and hank's like okay and that's where the issue ends um there's a couple other cool things in this story there's just some great character work. There's a part where um, Thor and Wasp are talking outside the mansion and he's trying to get her to open up and she starts to talk to him, but then she sort of like cuts it off and he doesn't know what to do. And she Hulk is watching this happen from the window and she's like, no, you know, Thor, go after her. Talk you know, about this stuff. It, push it, you know, like they both back off again. That, that goes back to the old, we're not supposed to interfere in each other's personal lives, which is, again, they take it too far, which is what Monica Rambeau says to them later on. You guys take it too far, man. You know, you have to be there for each other if you're a team. But it's, it's something I want to mention about this, which is key to, to this whole thing, too. This is how the last time you see Iron Man. And Captain America walks in on my while he's working on this kind of cerebral thing where you put a, you see, if, like a device you put on somebody to see if they're being mind controlled. And, you know, this thing is big as a house. And he says, oh, you can't take this to the courtroom. He goes, no, no, I'm going to make a portable thing. This way we could put it on Hank and see if there's there's was some outside influence. And he wasn't working. You know, maybe there was an egghead. Maybe, you know, we, we'll find out this way. And then, again, that's the last you see of, of Tony because he falls off the wagon in his own book. And he, and he right. don't see him, you know, so it's interesting, the, the, the crossover. But that, that device is a big deal. It becomes a big deal in the next couple of issues. It does. Uh, I thought Roger Stern did. So I really liked that scene. That's where Captain, like Steve, you know, basically Tony's been working for 40 hours straight on this thing. He's pushing himself way too hard. And Steve's talking to him about the guilt. And I love that character work. There's a sequence where the vision and the Scarlet Witch, which we haven't seen, we haven't seen them since 211. They're watching this stuff happen on TV and they're talking about whether they should go down there for more support and what to do. We're going to see them return to the Avengers right after the storyline ends. Uh, so he's kind of setting stuff up there. Um, 
just it's just a great issue. So many great character bits, great action sequences, um, and shockingly, done by Al Milgram in what has to be his best artwork of all. Right? Because it's not that bad. <laughs> I'm not a big Al Milgram fan, but I mean, he did a good job. He did an all right job. I really never liked his work. Me Even neither. And I didn't really like it. When, when I was looking through this, I was like, why does this look so good? And then I realized, is, I, I think he's not inking himself. Someone else is inking him. And uh, like when you later issues in the run, because he becomes a regular Avengers artist, um, I think he starts inking himself later. I haven't looked this up, I don't, so I don't know for sure. But I just remember his art being really ugly, and it's actually not that bad in these first issues where he first takes over the series. Well, you know why? Because the, the top pro Joe Sinnott is the ink. Joe yeah. Sinnott could clean anything up. He could take anybody and make it look sh sharp and nice, you know, and, and that's what he did with these issues. As a matter of fact, yeah, I, I noticed in these issues and the issues, like the whole run, there was like a lot of diverse hands in there. You know, that the idea somebody inks one page, because there was some panels that looked like Bob Layton, another panel that looked like uh, uh, Bob McCloud. You could, it, it's almost like a game I play. I'm looking at these panels and I'm looking at these pages. And I'm like, okay, that's not, that's not the inker. That's, that's not Brett Breeding. That's somebody else. Yeah. That's why I really think this whole series is like always behind. And they always have to throw pages at people to, to ink, finish the inking or whatever. And but it's so good. It's 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 almost boggling to think what might have happened if they had had time to do it with one really good artist and shooter writing the whole thing. But Stern does yeah. a great job tying up the end of the story. Um, so 229, we get the big climax uh, of action-wise uh, of this arc. Um, at the end of the previous issue, when the Masters of Evil attacked Radioactive Man who is not just radioactive, but he's also like uh, a genius level, like scientist. He's like, okay, so she Hulk's really strong, but if she's a Hulk, what if I just zap her with some gamma radiation? And sure enough, it turns her back into mousy Jennifer Walters and she can't figure out how to become she Hulk again. So we get some really cool stuff in issue 229 where Hawkeye, of course, is the one who is trying to talk to her and help her through this. And he decides that, well, it's, he doesn't say this, but he's like, okay, she's a Hulk. I need to get her really angry for her to turn into Hulk. And so he starts like viciously sort of making fun of what a weenie she is. And it works. <laughs> and uh, that sequence is great where she punches him basically through the wall. And uh, he's like, okay, stop. stop. I was kidding. Um, I love that. There, Captain Marvel again is in this and she has a very small role. I appreciate that Stern is only having her do a couple pages that are like small sequences. She does play a pivotal role here because the Avengers are, they're feeling defeated. They're all kind of down on each other themselves. They're like, Hank's gone and you know, this and that we, we have this device that Tony left us to see if he was being mind controlled, but now we can't even do that because he's gone. And she's like, you know, snap out of it. You're the Avengers. Like, what the, yeah. what the heck's going on? I come here and everyone's just moping around and you're supposed to be the Avengers. Like, the whole reason I'm here is because you guys are supposed to be awesome and so far you suck. <laughs> and, um, and Captain America's like, wait a minute. She says something like, you know, maybe uh, maybe, maybe Hank's telling the truth and it was Egghead. Maybe we should, it's the shocker that I should have his head examined for saying that it was Hank that did it. And Captain America's like, that's a great idea. And so they take the device and they put it on Shocker and Shocker's like, 
holy crap, you're right. Uh, it was Egghead. He brainwashed me. The whole thing, it's all Egghead. And so the Avengers are like, oh, crap. Like, he's been telling us it's Egghead for, at this point, it's literally an entire year, real time. And uh, they didn't believe him because Egghead was really good at what he's doing. So they're trying to, you know, track him down. But meanwhile, Hank Pym um, doesn't have to wait for the Avengers because he's been working on this stuff with Egghead now for a few days with all this machinery. And he basically uses his Hank Pym genius intellect to build all of these devices secretly into this thing. And then he tricks them into letting him use it. And he basically takes out the whole Masters of Evil all by himself. And I love the part at the end where he's taking them all out and he's talking to Egghead and he's like, you know, I've had all these different costumes, identities, with all these different superpowers. But just remember, it's Hank Pym that beat you. I didn't need any of those superpowers. I didn't need any of the any of that stuff. It's just me, uh, the scientist. And I've proven that I'm a better scientist than you are. And I'm a bigger hero than people thought I was. And he takes them all out. Um, I, I thought it was a really, really good uh, conclusion to that. He was never better. <laughs> Hank Pym. He, he gets in that machine and he cleans their clock. Seriously. And they, they got this one nice scene where the Avengers are outside because, you know, the shocker told them the address. So they're outside waiting and they're seeing this commotion going on. And the beetle comes flying out of the building wildly. And everybody starts to scatter because he's like, it's almost like a, they say, they're like a locomotive coming at you. But Thor stands his ground, puts his hammer out. And, and, and Beetle runs right into the hammer and doesn't even budge. I just love that scene. I love that scene. So, you know, like you said, Hawkeye goes in. Uh, anyway, you can finish it up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, while the Avengers are figuring out what to do, Hawkeye's like, screw this. And he just jumps down in the hole that was left by Beetle smashing through the ceiling. And he comes down there and he sees the end of this confrontation between Hank Pym and Egghead. And then Egghead is about to shoot Hank in the back. So Hawkeye fires an arrow and goes in the gun, the gun short circuits and it kills Egghead. Now they don't really discuss this specific point until next issue, but it's hinted at here as Hawkeye's going down there. He's like, I've got a score to settle with Egghead. I really liked this because it was Egghead that killed Hawkeye's brother way back in Avengers 64. And so here we are 15 years later and we finally Hawkeye. I thought it was just great synergy to sort of close that circle and have Hawkeye be the one that goes down there and ultimately accidentally kills Egghead um, at the conclusion of that story. I, I really, I really like that a lot. You know, when I first read this book way back in 1982, I was reading it in a weird way. You know how you, you, you put the book down and you turn the pages and when usually when you turn the page, you see the both pages together, right? I mean, you, you know, your, your peripheral vision will catch the layout of both pages. Well, this book, I read it one page at a time. I kept putting a piece of paper to block off the like the right hand page, the left hand pages you were watching, and I put the paper to block off the the right hand page. That because I didn't want to know what was going to happen too quick. I wanted to take it in as I was reading it, and I was positive, positive that they were going to kill Hank Pym at the end of this. So when so at the end to so that last page, the next to the last page. Where he saw the the panel where Egghead is reaching for the gun, and Hank and he and he goes, well, Hank, watch out! I thought that when I turned the page, it was going to show Hank getting killed, and that's it. So I'm so glad that Hawkeye, you know, did what he did to save his life and killed this guy. 
And it was just, I mean, that's, that's comics at its finest. When you don't want to even spoil it by, page, by turning a page and seeing something you don't want to see. To me, this was one of the top issues of this whole run. I mean, there's about three or four, but this is really, I mean, it had everything, man. Hank Pym beating them single-handedly. You know, the Avengers finally coming to their senses and hey, maybe this guy is, you know, is telling the truth. And, and I tell you, uh, uh, Monica Rambeau just stole stole that that scene there where she's like, she's like yelling yelling at the Avengers. She's like, look, man, you know what? what we here over where where I live, you guys are like legends. And you guys are walking around like an encounter group. I said, come on, man. Why don't you look at it this way? And at one point, Thor goes, hey, you know, don't put your, who do you think you're talking to? You know, like one of those puts a hand aside, you know. And, and that's what Captain America says. Yeah, you know what, man? Maybe we can try this helmet on on so-and-so and, and get to the bottom of this. But it's just a great scene, a great issue. And like you said, the art, it was nice. I mean, it did the job and Cynic cleaned it up really nice. So. No complaints. I'm not an Al, Al Milgram fan. I think the only time I ever really liked his work was a run he did for Captain Marvel, like uh, like w like way like after Jim Starlin left, he did some of the issues there, and they really looked nice. You know, I, I maybe it was the inking or whatever, but it, he did some nice work, nice layout work, and whatever. But since then, I, I never liked the stuff. The, the characters look kind of odd. You know, they they they're kind of bendy in a weird way. I don't know. Yeah. But he didn't ruin. He didn't hurt the story. He told the story correctly. No, this is this is some of his best work. So then we get two thirty. I actually didn't even put any notes here. I just it just says so good because I like <laughs> the whole issue from start to finish is so good. There's basically no action in it at all. It's just the characters dealing with everything they've been through. Um, and there's there's some great scenes here. Since I don't have any notes on it, I'm actually kind of forgetting the sequence. But my some of my favorite parts in this issue are where they they bring Hawkeye up on a court martial, just like they had did, they did with Hank Pym. And Hawkeye's like, "Wait, what?" And so, but they're like, it's, "It's under the bylaws where they have to do it." And so Hawkeye gives this speech um, where he's basically like, "You know, I didn't mean to kill him, but you know, things got real." And uh, that's the way it goes, you know. Um, I, I like that speech, but then Hank Pym is like, I, I'm the only witness to what happened, so I need to testify on Hawkeye's behalf. And then he does that. And, but then he also gives a speech which is basically like, you know, I screwed up and uh, it's my own fault. And basically, you know, it was great to be an Avenger, but I'm not really cut out to be it. And, and he leaves. Um, and then after that, they were like, wait, let's try that mind control helmet on you. Um, Cause maybe, maybe you're being mind controlled the whole time. Uh, and they try it and it turns out he wasn't. And I'm really glad they decided that he wasn't cause they would have completely undermined the entire story if they said he had been mind controlled, but they've been hinting throughout that it maybe was moon dragons influence, you know, stuff like that. So I'm glad that they, they had that and it's just key to the character. And then they have this great moment where, Everyone leaves him and Jan alone. Um, first, he gives the yellow jacket costume to the Avengers and is like, if you really need a yellow jacket, you can find a hero to wear this. But it's just not me. And then he and, then he and Jan say their goodbyes and, and he leaves. And uh, it's just great. Great, great, great. Yeah. They couldn't have made a better issue as a wrap-up. Uh, I mean, I, I will say that 
I mean, it's interesting. The Hawkeye thing, he he appears before court first and they clear him. They said he's going to be contempt of court because he's mouthing off to the judge. And then when he thinks everything's okay, they're like, okay, now we got to do a court martial. He's like, what? Court martial? What are you talking about? So, yeah, you know, Hank Pym, you know, he, he speaks up for him and stuff. They are really nice moments. <laughs> after after he speaks up for him, you know, they, they are, he's leaving. And then they all say, hey, don't be in a rush. Hold on. And they come over and Dorf, Dorf, I would love the door scene because Dorf Asgard is proud to call you friend. I was like, yeah, man, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you can see Captain America still feeling guilty. And he tells him, look, look, we could amend the bylaws and have you as an Avenger, you know, still and this and that. And he, and, it's, look, and he tells him, look, man, you know, all my mistakes were as an Avenger and I don't really want to revisit that and whatever. And again, he gives him the, the costume and tells him, all you need is a good man and whatever. I didn't like where... When he was talking up uh, Jan, that they both admitted that the marriage was terrible. I'm like, come on! Now all of a sudden, the marriage is terrible. There's one of the better marriages, you know. But I guess that's the story, so they're gonna stick with it. So, but yeah, it's nice that she and, and the nice touch too is that at the end, as he leaves, she starts to cry and kind of saying like, I wouldn't cry after the first. At the beginning, she said, I, I you know, she was crying all the time. She got refused to cry. That's it. And then finally, that scene makes her finally cry because she senses it's totally over and now she can start really grieving instead of running away from her feelings, which is what she's been doing the whole the whole run. Yeah, it was a great issue. The, that last three issues are like, they really delivered. Don, the, uh, Roger yeah. Stern really did a great job. Yeah, it's just, it's a great way for Roger Stern to start his Avengers run with like the end of one of the best Avengers stories of all time. And yeah. then just like, he just killed it. Like he, just absolutely yeah. killed it. It's so good. Not, not many weaknesses actually in the whole story. Again, Milgram he was mitigated by the the Senate Senate uh, inking. So that yeah. was a le- a lot for inker. We might have had a different look. So overall, I thought that the the storyline again. I've, I've said it a couple times already, but I think it's one of the best Avengers stories of all time. And I think Avengers is the consistently the best superhero book of all time. So for me, yep. that me- makes this one of the best superhero storylines ever. It's like top three or four for me in Avengers. There's very little that comes close. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that happened afterwards. Uh, we've met, we touched on it a little bit. Jan went on to become the lead of the team for a long time. She was briefly replaced by vision when spoiler alert, she was mind controlled into stepping down as the, as the team leader. Um, and then, but she was the team leader for most of Roger Stern's run. Um, and again, she was treated as a much more serious character, uh, after this point. Um, this was really sort of a jumping off point with Hank Pym. We didn't really see him again until the beginning of the West coast Avengers ongoing series. And then he had this long, I want to call it a redemption arc, but it was Steve Englehart wrote this story where he hit rock bottom again but in a slightly different way. I didn't really uh, like that. I didn't really like what they did with him, but they should have just left it as it was. There's aspects to it that I liked. He basically, at the end, he took on a new identity, a costumed, quote-unquote, costume identity as Dr. Pym, where he got these... He basically changed his powers a little so he could shrink and grow different objects and gadgets, and I kind of liked that um, power set for him. There are things I liked about it. I liked his relationship with Firebird, which was very brief. Um, but... Long term, you know, I mentioned right at the beginning, Tom Brevoort, the Avengers editor, has mentioned that they've had trouble really with the character ever since this. They've never really been able to 
fully rehabilitated. You mentioned that one of the writers that tried was Kurt Busiek. I think people's opinions on whether that was successful, not very wildly. There's aspects of that that were, um, he, he had Hank and Jan get back together and there's a lot of controversy at parts of his run. There was one part, um, in one of his best stories, the Ultron storyline, there was a part where Jan actually said that she thought she was in part to blame for what happened. And I think a lot of people got very angry about that. Um, because it was basically, you know, a domestic abuse victim saying she deserved it. And uh, so that didn't go over, I think, the way Busick meant it to. So, I don't know, there's just been a lot of trouble. Eventually, Marvel, for a period, had killed off the Wasp, and Hank Pym took on the identity of the Wasp in, as an homage to her. I don't really want, you know, I tell you, everything that happened after that, uh, the Avengers uh, run, the, the Fall of the Yellow Jacket, I, I kind of, in my mind, just disavow it all because they, they just started doing weird stuff with, with both of them. I mean, look, the guy was redeemed and leave it at that. He walked off into the sunset. You know what I mean? I, I, again, that's, that's the trouble when you have this kind of system. If it's just one writer, one creator that creates, owns the property, you don't get a, a writer 20 years later saying, hey, let's do this with Hank now. You know, let's do this with this character. So, I mean, different hands. You know, Steve Englehart decided he wanted to, to make him the suicidal guy again. I'm like, he's not a suicidal guy and never was. You know, but whatever, man. You know, I don't know these characters. They could do what they want. It's interesting that uh, none of this stuff is in the movies. Like Hank Pym in the movies, uh, there's none of the domestic abuse. He's still with Jan. Um, and like, uh, it's just interesting. He's not a huge character in the movies, but for people that aren't comic readers and don't know anything about the storyline, they just know that Michael Douglas is the original Ant-Man. He's Hank Pym. And he's like this cool character that shows up in, in some of these Avengers movies and got to fight Thanos, uh, briefly. So, um, uh, it's interesting. Just I just mentioned that because in a way he sort of has gotten his rehabilitation. Uh, it's just because um, non-comic fans don't know about any of this baggage that he supposedly has as a result of this storyline. So I mean, I, I, you know, I I make it a point to never I never expect anything out of a movie. To me, it's a totally different universe. Nothing has to be the same. It's nice when they they, they use things and make it cool. But, you know, like a dog never wears a helmet. I'm okay with that. You know, there's there's a lot of different things. And 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 why do they have to bring him that one storyline when he hits the girl, you know, hits his wife out of out of uh, being a nut job? Because it's really the only time you see him really like in a breakdown mode where he's violent. Uh, or at least, I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you have any final thoughts on this uh, storyline or anything? No, man, I reread it every couple of years or every year, and I always enjoy it. It's real fun kind of looking through it in a more critical eye. That's it for this episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, ICC Trombone, for joining me. I'd also like to thank all of you for listening. It's been uh, great fun going over uh, the storyline of Avengers. I hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, uh, please feel free to join us at ClassicComics.org to join in the conversation. So until next time, thanks very much.